proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr. I am the host as well as the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan. In today's podcast, uh, we have Zach Fisher. Zach is a member of a non-confessional church, but he is confessional. And so we want to steer our conversation today about what it looks like to be a productive member at a church that isn't confessional when you are. Zach, how you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself just to get a little background. All right. Uh, like you said, my name is Zach Fisher. Um, I'm from Monroe, Michigan. Uh, I'm married. Me and my wife are both 26. Um, we have one child. He's going to turn one year old tomorrow, actually. Very cool. Yep. So he's already being catechized. He then. is, yes. Trying. <laughs> catechized from the womb. I'm not sure how much he's retaining right now, but... <laughs> Very good. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the church you um, participate in, because you not only participate, you actually lead the college mm-hmm. and career yeah. ministry there. Right. Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's a fairly large church. You know, I wouldn't say, like, obviously not a mega church or anything like that. Probably maybe 700 people on a Sunday morning. Um, it's not confessional. The way I kind of got introduced into more Reformed theology and confessionalism was the guy who... Once I kind of moved past the youth group, so like 18, 19 years old, the guy who was leading the college ministry there, um, I believe you know him, Bob, we can we can name his name, uh, but he was leading the college ministry at that point, and so he's reformed, and uh, just within his Bible studies and his classes, he would kind of teach that way, um, and so under his discipleship, over a span of probably, I'd say, two, three years, I started being becoming more familiar with reformed theology, confessionalism. Um, at first it's just, you know, like the five points of Calvinism basically is like soteriology, right? That's the introduction for everyone. He did like a 49 week study on just soteriology with the college age. So it was thorough. Um, I, I wasn't able to be there for some of it, but I, I grasped enough to where I kind of got where he was coming from. Um, but in the end, honestly, it was just kind of scripture that affirmed that. Like I saw that what he's saying isn't just, he's not just making this stuff up, you know, and I was convinced ultimately just because of scripture reading through those things. So as you're kind of wrestling through this, um, I'm assuming you're still dating your now wife. Right. You're not married yet. Your theological convictions are changing. Right. You and her attended both the same church together? We didn't. Uh, we oh, met okay. in 2009, and that's when her family uh, switched to our church. Um, they came from a very fundamentalist Baptist background. Uh, my church is Southern Baptist, and so there's some of that there, but the church they came from was... Uh, Free Will Baptist, so I don't know if you know anything about that branch, but it's very fundamental, uh, a lot of legalism type things, very non-reformed, right? Right. To the point where um, she had a lot of fear growing up, youth group age and things like that, of even losing salvation, just because of the way that things are taught there. And so when we first met, that was even one of the first hurdles that we kind of had to um, overcome, and I tried to help her with, was just assurance of salvation, you know? because it rests on Christ's work, you know, not our, not our performance. Um, 
so that was that was the first thing, the first big thing. So after that, kind of, uh, she came to understand that and see how Scripture teaches those things. Then we started to move more toward uh, the way Bob was kind of teaching us as far as, okay, that's kind of step one, but there's actually a lot more to it, you know? And so as far as working through Reformed theology, um, it was just like a slow process. Her and I both kind of growing together in it. So you guys are kind of growing in understanding of Reformed theology. How are your families responding? Because they're they're here rooted right. in this church that mm-hmm. doesn't teach that. Right. Then you go off to this college ministry and right. are introduced to it. Forty nine weeks later, uh-huh, you're right. you're a you're a new follower, right. a of five pointer, a, a five pointer, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm gotta believe your family had some resistance to this. Yeah. Um. Mine not as much as hers. Uh. My family, we actually didn't start going to our current church now until like 2002. So from before I was born up until about 12 years old, we went to a different Baptist church. Um, and there was a lot of like MacArthur type influence there. Uh, our, our pastor there was a big MacArthur fan and, and even a little bit of Sproul, you know, things like that. So as far as uh, Reformed theology, just the soteriological part, sure. my parents are familiar with it and largely friendly to it. Um, I, I was never really taught that strictly growing up, but they weren't like opposed to it. And so when I started uh, learning more about it just through Bob and the college ministry at our church, uh, a lot of it kind of rang bells like for my parents and like, oh yeah, you know, like, it's familiar. They've been taught that. Um, and so my family was largely receptive to it. And and it wasn't even that they were just receptive. They, they largely agreed, right? Her family was different. Um, they, coming from a free will tradition, you know, push back even even sometimes now still a little bit not as much they've been uh just conversations that her her brother as well has kind of become more calvinist right and so he has a lot of debates with his parents and things like that so uh more recently now they've come to uh be more receptive not necessarily agree but they're not totally like anti you know anymore right right now as you're kind of dealing with this and wrestling through this you begin to see at least it did for me mm-hmm. i began to see sharp contrast to what i was reading studying yeah and maybe what was going on around me in the culture that i was raised um because i came out of a fundamentalist background okay. as well and you begin to wrestle and see some tensions and you're, and, you're, and you're trying to weave and dodge and figure out how all this balances out mm-hmm. what were some of those key points for you in your development early on that you're trying to figure out how this works in the context you're, you're, you're worshiping in. Yeah. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me, and, and this is actually something my mom and dad, uh, I, I remember my mom specifically telling me growing up, uh, as far as like the sinner's prayer, things like that. That was one of the things that uh, my mom even always told me, you know, that's not in the Bible. Like you're not going to find the blueprint of this is how you become saved. You recite this and, you know. Um, so that was one of the things that just traditionally I was always around it. I was always exposed to it, going to youth camp many times. Uh, th- that's the thing that's kind of, um, I don't want to say pushed cause it's not, it's definitely not forced, but when someone, uh, you know, maybe responds to, you know, like an altar call type thing, that's one of the things that they'll be led in right without sometimes much concern for, does this person really understand what's going on? You know, things like that. So that was one of the thing, the, one of the things that I, uh, had to really check as far as hey, this is just a tradition of mine and it, it's not really making a lot of sense to me, you know, especially when I started learning more about reform theology. That was one of the things that I kind of uh, just had to kind of let go of as far as, all right, this isn't necessarily always wrong, 
you know, but it's something that's probably not healthy just to throw out and, hey, here's, here's this prayer, you can recite it. So that was one thing for me personally that... Well, that's a good example, mm-hmm. I think, even with the, the altar call and how all that works together, because from some of our backgrounds, that is a, a crucial, you know, you haven't preached the gospel unless you, right. you had an altar call right. or somebody has heard it's the like sinner's a burden. prayer. We, we have to throw this in every single... Right. Yeah, yeah. And so that is definitely a, a theological shift. What about the way in which confessions um, began to take a more serious role in your understanding acting as a framework to how to understand the Bible compared to maybe the statements of faith or uh, whatever else was going on? Um, As far as confessions, uh, being Baptist, you know, the 1689 would would be what I personally affirm, you know. Um, The whole idea of acting as a safeguard, you know, because sometimes, and, and I had the same reaction when I first started learning about uh, confessions as far as like, well, this seems like people are kind of placing them as authoritative, you know, almost over scripture. Sometimes the way people speak about them coming from a non-confessional background, that's what it sounded like to me. Um, and maybe some people do that, but the more I begin to understand what, what they're actually used for, like in a church, um, there's a lot of unity, you know, and, and as a safeguard as far as uh, you can get a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds in a room that'll say, well, I believe the Bible. And then you'll even read a passage, and yeah, I, I believe that, but they might believe totally different things about what that's actually teaching. And so the use that I see personally in, in confessions would be, um, you know, like pastoral unity. If Even if it's not every single member has to sign off on this or whatever, but if you're going to teach or preach or have some kind of leadership role at this church, you know, uh, I think a confession seems like it would be extremely beneficial. Because, Zach, that's a, that's a great point, because yeah. I think a lot of people view confessions as being divisive. Yeah, uh, you and I were talking off mic that it, there's this real movement around us for unity of churches, right. but confessions allow that because they say what we are to join and link arms around, right. which is more than just in Jesus' name. Right. Um, and so I think uh, what you're saying really rings well with me, and I think others. How did you begin to see? Okay, I'm not in a confessional environment, mm-hmm. but I see the strength of it. Was there times that you thought, man, we need to change things? Or, I mean, how did you wrestle as a young guy kind of yeah. coming up and saying, well, this really needs to become part of who we are, part of our DNA? Yeah, um, just with the situation I'm in, like, I, I don't have a lot of, you know, like power to just make decisions and just change things. Like, I'm a, I'm a lay person, you know, so I, I lead the college age ministry. Um, but it's not something that, it's not a position that just gives me a ton of influence over, like, how the larger church, you know, operates. Um but it's one of those things where, fortunately, I've got enough freedom. It's allowed for, you know, uh, for me to be able to teach in accordance with what I think would be more biblical theology and more confessional. Is that kind of general everywhere in your church? I mean, you're talking about Bob who taught 49 weeks right. on five points of Calvinism. Right. So that's been a kind of a, a rock bed of who they are yeah. DNA-wise. Yeah, um, and the college ministry is kind of unique in that way because it's not just a Sunday school age group. It's its own ministry. And so there is curriculum that they'll use, which isn't bad, um, and everyone is kind of bound to that if you're a Sunday school teacher. But if you actually are in charge of a certain ministry, which like the college age falls into that, I don't necessarily have to follow that curriculum. So whatever I'm reading through currently, if I decide to do a six-week Bible study on this, we can do that, or 10 weeks, or Bob, 49 weeks. And that's allowed, you know, fortunately, just because it's, it's the college-age ministry, it's kind of its own thing. So let me ask you this question, then. As a, as a, as a young guy, a, a millennial who has a deep confessional roots, and uh, kind of had your aha moment 
uh, a few years back, and theologically there was this shift. You're at a church that's not confessional. How? What, what advice do you give to somebody about when it's time to leave and yeah. when it's time to stick and stay and support the ministry that you're part of? Yeah, there's definitely... Um, that's definitely been a struggle, you know. Uh, that's a struggle that I've had uh, personally. I mean, even Sarah and I will have sometimes even arguments even about, hey, man, what is a deal breaker as far as, like, staying, leaving, things like that. But um, really, the reason we've stayed there and just stayed rooted there is because we're able to, we feel, be effective with the college-age ministry, you know, both of us. Um, I, I don't know, maybe if I was someone who... Uh, was just like visiting and just attending. Maybe maybe the situation would be different. But because I'm there, I'm kind of rooted there. There's there's people that, not by my skill, but just by the grace of God, that I feel are being discipled through the college age ministry, through through my class and things like that. Um, those those are reasons why I've, you know, uh, at the end of the day, have decided to hey, let's just stay here, continue to serve here. Um, and also like our our pastors are great. You know, there's not uh, not being confessional isn't equal with being a heretic, you know? So there's, there's obviously things, um, maybe once in a while that maybe are spoken from the pulpit that I might take a little issue with, but it's, it hasn't been like a deal breaker as far as, well, we can no longer in good conscience stay here at nothing of that level. You no, know? I think that's a, that's a tweetable statement you made. Yeah. Not being confessional doesn't equal heretic. Right. Um, you know, but the, 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 question I kind of want to get back to is, are there, what are those certain things that you would say, hey, these are deal breakers? Oh, yeah. Um, well, and that also kind of connects with the use of, you know, confessions. Uh, things about, I mean, are you just asking me personally what are deal breakers? Uh, well, the Trinity, obviously. <laughs> I, I've... It's funny you chuckle, but I, I've been in Facebook debates even recently. I, not really debates, but conversations that didn't go so friendly just about uh it was just an offhanded comment i made about something that td jakes you know had said sure being someone who's modalist you know yeah um well that was and, the reason i laugh is modalism is found everywhere in right. so many evangelical churches yeah so and so and so obviously i would draw a line there uh but e even one of my christian brothers at, at, at my church took issue with that just not really understanding the seriousness of that error you know, it's not, um, it's not an issue e even of Calvinism. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. And it's a lot more serious of an error, you know? So Trinitarian theology is huge. Um, that encompasses the deity of Christ, things like that. Um, what are the deal breakers? Sometimes things even that I wouldn't consider heresy can be deal breakers as far as practice, you know, like some churches that maybe are really charismatic and there's a lot of that type of atmosphere there. Maybe I, I wouldn't be ready to say that's outright heresy, but it's just not really a, a place where I would function well. You and I run in circles where some of our friends would push in on this a little bit, this conversation, and say, well, if somebody's preaching Arminianism, mm -hmm. I mean, in free will theology, isn't that you know, uh, an obstacle to the present, presenting the true gospel? Mm -hmm. And I know you and I both would say, sure, we, 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 we espouse that. How do you begin to defend um, in a situation where somebody says, I think you should leave over that. Yeah. Um, well, the the presentation of the gospel in an Arminian way, which is something that I experience uh, every once in a while, right, at a church that's not confessional, uh, altar call type thing. Um, now, maybe this doesn't go for every church that's non-confessional, but at least at mine, 
it's never the gospel has never been presented in a way where it's like not the gospel anymore. Like there's a lot of sometimes like the pleading altar call type stuff. Uh, once in a while that'll happen, um, but but it's never been to the point where it's it's compromising. Uh, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not uh, just hey, just make a decision for Christ. It's it's not preached that way. Um, the Holy Spirit is still glorified when people come to repentance, things like that. So it's never been something for me to feel like I need to leave over because um, in a sense, well, yeah, in a sense, God is getting glory through that. Um, I would say he would get, you know, more glory if you, if, if it was preached more accurately as far as this is all a work of God, right? Um, and the whole sinner's prayer thing is kind of left out of it. But, um, but the gospel being presented in that way, at least in my experience hasn't ever been to the level where it's a compromised gospel, not another gospel like Paul would talk about in Galatians or anything like that. And the reason I bring that up is because I think a lot of our listeners are in churches mm-hmm. that are not confessional, and they've come to these confessional truths, and they're really wrestling yeah. with, when when do I leave? When do I stand up? And when should I be supporting and encouraging these ministries? Because they are preaching Jesus. They are preaching yeah. the gospel. And I think that's a real tension... Um, and, and the ability to walk that tightrope and understand when do you leave and when do you not. I mean, you have biblical evidence when uh, the disciples want to call down thunder and lightning from heaven yeah. to deal with uh, people that are preaching Jesus outside of the Twelve, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at that and you realize that, no, Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, that's, if, they're, if they're not against me, they're for me. And I think sometimes we want to divide and divide and divide. But I want to hear a little bit more of your kind of uh, why God, you feel God has really called you to, to continue yeah. in the support of the church you're in. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not like a textbook written on like how to function in a situation like I'm in as far as, okay, well, here's when it crosses the line where you need to leave. Or if you ha- if this hasn't been specifically said yet, then it's, then it's okay to stay. There's not really a rule book, you know. And I would imagine that my situation is different than other people who are in other churches that are not confessional. So it's not like, you know, what I say applies to every person. It's probably different in each situation, at least for me. Um, again, just the, the the college ministry that we're able to be involved in and the freedom that like, our senior pastor and associate pastor have even allowed me to have as far as uh, taking that class in the direction that I, I would like to take it, as far as it's teaching through an entire book. We've done that. We've done uh, topical teachings. Just We did a, a, a really long series, maybe like 30-some weeks on the Holy Spirit, you know, and so they've given me enough freedom to where I don't feel constrained, even if they're not maybe personally confessional. Um, they're not like anti-confessional, you know. Uh, I use the 1689 quite often, probably like every other Sunday morning I'll use it. Um, and, and that's really not an issue. So the first reason why I think it's still beneficial for me to continue to serve there at my home church, that's one of them. The other reason would be... Um, it might sound silly, but there's not heresy being preached, you know. It's, it's It still is a New Testament church. It's a missional church. Um, there, we support lots of different uh, missionaries that are from our church, you know, that have gone overseas and done these things in different church revitalizations and church plants. And so in all those aspects, it's a healthy New Testament church. Um, not that there aren't issues. There's issues everywhere. But, you know, there hasn't been anything that's really push me to the point where it's, you know, it's time to go. And, and that day might come. Um, but as of now, uh, just being able to be there and serve faithfully, I think is just where God, you know, wants me to be 
don't know if that answers your question. No, it completely. does. And, and, and what I kind of want to do, and this is kind of a little bit unfair question, but because your your son isn't old enough right. to be involved in the ministries of of that church, and 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 really, you and your wife are able to go home and theologically think through mm-hmm. the DNA and the of of what you're about and and what the church is about. What do you think there will come a time when maybe for the protection of family, or do you think nah, that's not in our situation? Our situation is a little different than maybe that. Um, I have thought about that as far as like, you know, what type of church atmosphere would I like to raise, you know, our son in? Um, I, I think sometimes, and I could be wrong on this, but personally, I think sometimes, uh, families maybe expect the church to do a role that it maybe is not intended to do, you know? And so as far as the discipleship of our family, uh, that's something that my wife and I take seriously. And so even if, you know, even if we want to raise him as a, a 1689 Baptist, which we plan on doing, right? Um, that can take place at home, you know. Um, I don't really need, uh, or not not need. I don't really expect, uh, you know, my pastors to raise my son and disciple him. That would be my role along with Sarah's role, you know. Right. And so, and, and in those situations, maybe where there's a difference between what the church would teach and mm-hmm. what you would teach, you view that as a teaching moment. Yeah, and and that's how it's always been, even with the college group. When I was college age student and Bob was teaching, sometimes there would be differences. Okay. This is the statement that was made, you know, maybe last Sunday morning. Um, here's where I would maybe disagree with it. And th- there's gracious ways to do that. And at the end of the day, still still be Christian brothers, you know. Um, and I've never seen that done in an inappropriate way, like at our church. Uh, because it is such a large church and being non-confessional, there is a diversity of beliefs, you know, there and even among leadership. Um, but those are things that I think uh, are, like you said, teachable moments, you know. Okay, I'm not condemning this person saying he's not a brother, but here's where I disagree and here's scripturally why, you know. Have you ever had in a moment, whether it was when Bob was teaching uh, that through that, all that series or the things that you've been teaching where maybe some of the students say, wait a second, this isn't what the church teaches, and how did you navigate through that? I, I tried to uh, like head that off like before a student would say that. I, I, would, I would try to just preface, okay, now what I'm about to say might be unfamiliar, if you've grown up in this church, this probably isn't something you would hear every week, you know? Um, and so I try to I try to beat people to the punch, you know, so they're not just shocked and so they don't feel awkward raising their hand and saying, hey, well, what about this? Because maybe people don't want to raise that issue or whatever. And so usually I'll, if I know it's something that might not contradict but might sound unfamiliar or not be part of the tradition at our church, I'll usually just kind of introduce it with that just so they know, okay, we might not hear this every Sunday morning, but in this class, this is, you know, this is Zach's view. <laughs> not my view, but, you know. Sure. And has that ever happened, where that's happened, where it's uh, people have said, wait a second, this is not the... Yeah, the pos- yeah. Um, and Can you give us an ex- illustration yeah, of that? Yeah, uh, well, just going back to the, the tulip thing, you know, the five points of Calvinism, I, it's like the old joke, the one everyone gets hung up on is limited atonement, you know. And so talking about the atonement of Christ, uh, actually saving people rather than just making salvation possible for all people, actually accomplishing salvation for the elect. That's something that uh, I almost felt not guilty, obviously, but just uncomfortable even bringing up because I knew that that was something new that those that are in my class probably wouldn't have heard like a particular redemption preached, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, that I knew people were going to kind of and nobody really had issues as far as... Has it has that ever come to the place where your pastor spoke to you or wrestled through? No. You guys mm-hmm. seem to have had a, a good relationship. Yeah, and yeah we, we do have a good relationship. And I, I think previously, uh, I'm assuming, I think Bob and our pastor had had conversations just about their differences. 
but the, like like I said, it was never issues of like heresy, maybe theological, you know, different persuasions, and they are big differences. I'm not minimizing the differences either; uh, they are foundational, but not not to the point where someone would have to take me aside and say, "Hey, don't teach that anymore." You know? Well, I think it's huge that your pastor is willing to allow. Mm-hmm. For those uh, called different streams yeah. um, to be said, and obviously there's 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 some there's some nervousness to all of us in that because you never know what somebody else might be teaching in another Sunday school right. class if he's giving you this freedom. But on the other side of it, I think all of us in our theology are always progressing. Yeah, I mean we see that even with the disciples. You know, you see Peter wrestling through the whole Jew Gentile thing, and especially through the Book of Galatians as Paul's writing there. Um, but it, it progressive understandings of our theology is something we all experience. Every pastor is going to go through. Every congregation is going to have. Right. And so I think this is a, this conversation we're having is a reality check for all of us to understand. None of us have arrived. But one of the reasons we like the confessions is they offer us that that guidance and that that framework to move through these deep waters of theology, and yeah. that's the benefit of of confessionalism. Um, and I'm just encouraged that your church is willing to support you and yeah. allow you to have that opportunity. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. One of the things I just thought of uh, with what you mentioned earlier, or a couple minutes ago, about it, theologically, it's always like a progression, you know, even with pastors, they're theologically progressing and still working through issues. That's one of the other reasons that I I forgot to mention earlier when you said, what are some of the reasons you've decided to stay rather than to move on to a different church? Uh, That's one of them because, um, you know, pastors, they don't, they don't even necessarily stay at churches like for the rest of their lives. Like there's always new people, new leaders coming up and the leaders that we have even currently um, are on, you know, theological journeys, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and actually, especially one of them I know would would personally uh, probably describe himself more reformed, you know, more at least as a Calvinist, you know. Um, and so just because there's that influence and the small amount of influence that my wife and I are are allowed to have, that that's just a reason to uh, not just abandon ship, you know. When you see positive theological progression among the leaders, that's encouraging, even if it's slow, you know. And I think that's I think that's a very teachable moment for our listeners is that if you're in a church where the pastor is willing to work with you and understanding he's learning too, and yeah. pastors may want to pretend they're not, they are. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. We're learning, we're growing, we're studying, we're reading. Uh, the danger spot comes if you're at a church where the pastor is very uh, defensive, right. very aggressive, uh, very... Um, not willing to allow for there to be discussion on these things, then in those situations, I think it's pretty uh, clear that all you're going to do is sow discord in a church like that, and and you're going to be going up against the pastor. Where in your situation, because of the friendliness and the relationship, it Mm -hmm. seems that that's not the case. Right. Yeah, we've been super blessed just with uh, humble pastors, largely, Uh, pastors that aren't pretentious and uh, thinking that, hey, I've got everything figured out, Nobody can teach me anything. That's that's fortunately not an issue for us at all, which is, like you said, part of the reason why it just makes sense to stay there and continue to work with them together, you know? In a case in point, I have a some really good friends that are uh, pastors at a Baptist church, and they recently were struggling with an issue. They had somebody that was not able to be baptized uh, by immersion because of a tracheotomy and uh, some other illnesses mm-hmm. that were affecting um, their body. 
And um, they could have just simply said, well, we'll take an exception on this one. But they, as a, a, a panel, a board of elders, went together and said, let's study this issue to make sure we make the yeah. right decision. Mm-hmm. And they wrestled through that. And they came to a decision that whether it's pouring or immersion, they were going to accept either. Right. Now, that was a big shift. Yeah. But I was so encouraged to see their willingness to wrestle through that rather than just say no mm-hmm. or, well, we'll just do an exception here. Who cares? The, the desire for pastors to keep studying to keep growing. And it's usually through those sheep, through those situations, right, that we all grow as leaders. And so hopefully uh, our listeners can have the same impact in the churches that they're at, where it gives opportunity for their shepherds to really begin to think through some Mm -hmm. theological issues. Yeah. Uh, It's it's not just an automatic, hey, I'm confessional, my church isn't, the the solution is just for me to leave. That's not not the immediate answer. And that is the knee-jerk reaction that I've had uh, early on, you know, is just, man, everything, I just clash with every, with some of these things that are being said, you know. Um, but after you kind of cool down and think things through and realize, all right, uh, it's not necessarily just a deal breaker, you know. And when people are willing to have conversations about these things and continue to grow and learn, it's, you know, it makes sense to strive to work together if you're unified on, you know, the most important things. Absolutely. Um, Zach, I want to say I just appreciate the conversation yeah. today. Uh, it's, I hopefully it's been beneficial to those who are on the fence wherever they're standing um, on either side of this discussion because I think there are some that say I'll stay wherever I'm at and forever even yeah. if theologically it doesn't match at all or those who think I need to only be in a place that's cookie cut just like me and right. good luck finding that place right. you know right. so uh, thanks for the time yeah and uh, have a good week everybody thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective podcast for more information and resources please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.